I can't afford to be here. This is small town music. This is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song away, a song away, a song away. Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and joining me today in the Zoom room, you know him as the iconic drummer for the Stray Cats. We've been trying to get him for a while. He's finally here. He's got a new album to promote. It's a live Stray Cats album called Rock This Town from L.A. to London, and he, he wrote the book Stray Cat Struts, My Life as a Rockabilly Rebel. Please welcome Mr. Slim Jim Phantom. How you doing, Jim? Good, Pat. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. Now, I, I assume I just call you Jim. I don't call you Slim Jim. You call me whatever you like. <laughs> some Mr. people say Slim. Some people say Slim Jim. Some people say Slim. So everybody settles on something. <laughs> and Jim, you're here in... I answer to them all. Slim Jim, you're here in the, uh, in the Southern California area, correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. West Hollywood. How long have you lived in, uh, in L.A.? Um, since 1982, I came to play the Roxy and just never left. <laughs> and the Stray Cats, where did they form? Are they a New York band? Or are they, uh, are they, uh, yes, they're a New York the band. Stray Cats formed, we are, we're, we're all from Massapequa on Long Island and we formed in school, just out of school. And then we went to England and made our first two albums there. That's why, uh, and we kind of got grouped it lumped in a bit in a good way with that uh with when mtv started the british the first wave of mtv groups you know we were part of that kind of time period but um but we made the records in england although we were americans by my count you guys got about 11 studio albums with the stray cats and you got two studio yeah. albums with phantom rocker and slick so it's been a busy uh it's been a busy 40 years for you yeah and there's um, two in there with lemmy There's always something to do, you know. It's always there's always something happening. It seems in a good way. Now, it's just you know, it seems a little bit harder to get. Now, now there's just a couple extra steps to do it, I suppose. But um, rather than just drive down to the studio to mix the record, it was you know we did a lot of it through file sharing and just on the new one, just mixing it really and approving of the mixes, which you know in a funny way you do anyway. But it's uh, it's all a bit a bit new. That's all. And you're talking about the you're talking about the live album. Is that the one you're referring to? Yeah. Yeah. 
Now, this wasn't recorded at one show. It's like, uh, I guess, your favorite performances you guys chose from the entire tour, correct? No, I think it's pretty much from two two or three different shows. Oh, that's good. The that's bulk good. of it was from two that were night, uh, we did two nights in the same place here in L.A., in Orange County. And the bulk of it is from that. And then a few we really liked. We did a... Um, a small unannounced kind of thing to launch the tour through Sirius XM who, who um, sponsored the tour. And we did it in a little bar where we, uh, in, in our old neighborhood that, <laughs> that still, you know, had a PA and a, a, a stage there. So we brought everything in mainly, but it was in our old neighborhood and it was actually in Amityville right next to our. All right, cool. That's cool. Court. That's like, and, um, like like a homecoming. And a tracks came from that. So was it was that filled with a lot of family and friends in the audience of that show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of cousins for me, <laughs> and um, a lot of people. It was people from Sirius. It was uh, like a like a contest, kind of last minute thing, you know. Gotcha. Um, a signing, calling. You didn't even know what you were doing, and it was like, wow, it's Stray Cats playing in Massapequa, Amityville. So it was kind of a cool thing. The song order on this album. This is. This represents the set list that you guys played on the 40th anniversary tour. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, exactly. It's it's in the same order and the same kind of running. Yeah. Well, I you know I love this album. It kicks off with a cat fight over a dog like me, which also kicked off the album 40. <laughs> As soon as you hear that song, you know that the Stray Cats are back. Yeah, and it was kind of a cool thing that we opened with a, um, not just the tour, but then the album with a, um, a brand new song, which, uh, which is kind of usually the conventional wisdom is to do one that everybody knows right, right. off the bat, right? You can't go wrong. Um, but we decided to do it like a little bit differently, and I thought it was kind of a cool move. I'm glad we did it that way. Well, that song is so good that if you're just a casual Stray Cats fan, I don't think you would even know that that was a new song. You know, and I mean that. Yeah, yeah. I mean that as a compliment. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, totally. I agree with that. It's um, kind of right away. You're in a familiar place. Jim, how did the reunion happen? Obviously, all three of you guys uh, were thinking that, hey, our 40th anniversary is coming up. Are we going to do something? And then who calls who? Are you guys? 
like I don't know about this. I don't know about the stray cats. I don't know if you guys are are tight. You know, when you're not doing a project or you know. Right. So how sure. how did this happen? Um, everyone usually kind of stays in touch. Um, usually when there's something, something it's 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 usually based on when there's something happening. I mean, casual phone calls. Um, yeah, once in a while somebody's birthday everyone calls each other kind of thing um but um hanging out or going to lunch that that kind of thing doesn't really happen for a long time brian lives in uh minneapolis okay he lives down um uh in orange county and i'm right on the front line and you know, still you know and gotcha. um, and um but but there's still a lot of business that everyone's involved with um together so everyone stays in touch everything's friendly and this, we realized that it was coming up 40 years was kind of a cool thing. Everyone kind of got in touch at the um, same time kind of thing. That makes sense. And then when you guys get together, is it just like old times? You know, you guys fight about the same things and like the same things. And uh, does it feel the same? Very, yeah. Everything is very relaxed now. It's uh, Now there's nothing left to prove. Right. Uh, it's just really about... Um, everyone just wants to prove that they're good enough to still be in this band. You know, it's pretty heavy cats really, you know, that's how I feel about it. And that's my goal always. If I'm good enough to be, to be, to be in the band, I can do anything. So, and it was very, um, very relaxed. We just did demos. Brian wrote a bunch of songs and we didn't go into a demo studio. He just sent, sent demos through on an email kind of thing of him just playing guitar and singing and some we would just do it live you know we had a thread going on a text which for the three of us to figure out was kind of an achievement in itself and uh and we booked the time and we we just went to the studio we didn't rehearse particularly or demo the songs in the traditional way we just went to blackbird studios in uh nashville and uh we had everyone had worked out their parts. We were about a month or so out. We had all the songs in very, very raw form, but went in and everyone liked Stray Cats. You expected to, to, to do it, man. And that's, you know, we went in there the first day and cut a song. Very kind of cool. We worked in the daytime, which for us was a new thing <laughs> in the past. Right. And like, um, um, rather than, uh, you know, everyone turning up different times and all that. It, it was very um, structured. It was good. We went in. Everyone met at noon, had a coffee. We recorded. Every, we had lunch break, and everyone had lunch together. We had lunch into the studio every day and worked till 7, 8 o'clock, and then um, went home. Well, yeah. Like I, we had, like, rented a little house in Nashville, and someone stayed in a hotel, and we stayed in a flat and someone rented a house outside of Nashville. Brian did near where his daughter lives. So it was very, and it was very workmanlike in a, in a cool, relaxed way, in a grown up way. So it was yeah. very um, easy to get stuff done. It sounds nice. Yeah. It was the first time we ever really did it like that, to be honest with you. In the past, it was always a bit more, um, uh, I mean, everyone worked was a little bit more haphazard, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but, um, uh, but still, you know, it's still the same results. I thought it was really good. We had the most fun making it. It was very relaxed. We did it live, more or less live in the studio.
joke because the friend had the money I'm flat broke. I got love if you want it. Oh, I got love if you want it. We had this genius mad scientist engineer guy, Vance Powell, who does all like Jack White. He works with him and all that stuff. And a old pal of ours, Peter Collins, his producer pal of ours, um, been around as long as us. Yeah, British guy. And so he knew how to be the, you know, the headmaster of the of the classroom. And it was uh, in Vance mad scientist way. There's live mics all over the place in crazy places around around the drums, particularly on the drums and the, the room was mic'd in one part and we had a uh, very little separation between us. And it was, um, no one was in a fish tank or anything. It was very much like a live thing. And we set up in a row, like we do live. Oh, that's uh, cool. Very not, nice. Not in different rooms and pretty much there were mics hanging from the ceiling. It was pretty, pretty crazy. Um, old, old meets new technology. I gotta be. I've lived in Los Angeles for 25 years. I've never, right. I've never not been able to get a concert ticket. I could not get a ticket to see you guys at the Greek. Really? It was like the hot ticket. I mean, you know, I always assume, oh yeah, I'll get a ticket for that, no problem. And no. So congratulations. Uh, <laughs> well, we had Eagles of Death Metal that night. It was, it was, it was all there. It was all there, people. Yeah, and the Greek theater. You, I, I'm, was that the first time you played the Greek in a long time as the Stray Cats? Uh, yeah, in a very long time. Last times that we would play would have been like the Palladium or one of those. I don't, I don't even know if we, we ever did the Greek theater before. Um, but it was the show of the summer. It was, it was yeah. at the very end. And um, Tad Eagles of Death Metal is my wife's band, and they're our family as well. And they were the um, special guests on the show. And every so it was one of those kind of show in the summer. Yeah, and I'm just very you know lucky that I keep saying very grateful that we started in 1979, and not <laughs> so that was the 40 years. Yeah, I don't think you could pull that off um, this summer. You know. Yeah. Some, now let me ask you circumstances. So you and you and Brian and Lee. Oh, here's what I wanted to ask you because you said Brian would wrote a bunch of demos and he sends the de the songs to you guys. What if you yeah. don't? What if you don't like one of the songs? Are you uh, are you guys honest with each other? Do you say I'm not feeling this one? Um, well, we give every song a shot. I think we recorded more than than wound up being on the record. I think there's two or three that don't make it. But like, you never shut them down before you do it. Okay, that's that's what I've learned with anyone creative like him and anyone that who's that good. You know, like when they give you something, it's let's you do your best to make it into something. And um, sometimes one's a sleeper too. You never know until you're in there kind of thing. So right. um, I, you know, I, I'm never negative about when he brings me something. It's All right. just great, you know, and it's, and it's very loose in the ways anyone can do what they want. Like he, you know, him, him, uh, you know, his demos are him, him playing acoustic guitar and singing. And then a couple of times he'll like, play the solo as well shred on <laughs> shred on the but it's very loose and then you come up with your own parts for it so it's challenging as well as um uh if you know flattering that everyone is expected and everyone has a lot of faith in the others so he's leaving you a lot of space in the demos so that you and lee can insert yourselves in a in a unique uh, way exactly let me ask you this you guys uh, you guys said you started in massapequa 
you and Brian and Lee. Now, how do three guys in the 80s all have an affection for rockabilly music and then find each other and then form, uh, you know, bring that music, yeah. bring that music back to, uh, you know, me as a teenager. I mean, that was almost like a long lost art form in a way. And well, you- that was the thing. We, 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 we at that point when we found it, it was so all encompassing. We saw it as sort of like a type of a mission almost. We, we, um, we, we were all the guys in school, school that played. I, 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 I knew that my whole life, really. I, entire life i went to the kindergarten with brian's brother and lee and me brian's a couple years older than us but we've known each other we played little league that long actually and um uh we were always the guys that played would play school dance and the battle of the bands and all that we were the guys in school that played and lee and i were the same age we usually we, we played together a lot lee and i were in the band and brian was in the uh you know, different band that he used to do a lot of stuff on his own too, jazz kind of stuff even back then. And um, we just found it through classic rock, really just going back and finding out, you know, who do the Beatles like, who do the Stones like? And, you know, you arrive, of course, through Chuck Berry and all that kind of stuff. And then and then when you find Elvis Presley's original Sun Sessions recordings and then Gene Vincent all within two weeks, you're like, that's it. I'm in. This is a whole new universe that we just discovered opening up a treasure chest and seeing it just filled and no one's touched it for a long time. Yeah. And then and I didn't even know, know, know that it existed. None of us did. And we were all, you know, music college. If we did lasted long enough, those kind of guys, you know, we all were in school band and read music and could, you know, and also play, play, the, play the bars kind of thing. The thing about the Stray Cats is, too, when you guys brought this music back, uh, you know, to us in the 80s, it didn't seem like a gimmick. You know what I mean? It felt you guys were, you looked and you played, you were the real deal. You know what I mean? Because it would have been easy, if you did it wrong, it could seem like a gimmick, and it does not. Yeah. We we loved it so much. I think I've expanded my, my horizons a bit since then, but at that exact minute in time, anything that wasn't Gene Vincent, we made fun of and like wouldn't, you know, even look right. at it, you know? Um Elvis, after he came out of the army, we weren't even, you know what I mean? It was like after Buddy Holly, pretty much that was the music had ended, you know? We, yeah. were, we were very much um, like that, even though we were all musicians that we all knew kind of better a little bit. But the first few years, um, in the year or so that we played just as a bar band around, around Long Island, and then the next year after that was pretty much, that was all... You would listen to live it, breathe it, dress it, you know, which, you know, you know I've softened by maybe 10%, you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's, um, but I, I think that that's the only way that something that different was going to work. We like totally believed it and didn't really care if anyone else did. It was like, we just thought it, I thought everyone would come to us. There really wasn't any doubt or any really compromise or anything like that. So offstage, you guys lived it, too, as far as the look. Oh, yeah. That's great. I like it. You are you're you guys are all in. I love it. Because if you're living that it. That was part of the fun. Yeah. I mean, and you probably got uh, you probably got some, some stairs, good and bad. Oh, yeah, mainly bad back then. But, um, <laughs> but um, uh, 
Yeah, but that was part of the fun. That's what we did every day. You know, we slept late. We went to thrift stores, went to diners, you know, then went to the gig and played a song that you learned that day from a new, from a new Eddie Cochran record that you found. <laughs> and, um, I mean, it was fantastic times, really. Brian and I had this little tiny apartment we shared in New York and just went and lived how we thought Elvis Presley lived in the 50s, you know, which really was our goal was. And we didn't care about anything else. And we played, we worked five nights a week. We, we all made money at it. We were fine, you know, we were kids, really. Yeah. But we, but we wanted to somehow expand the whole thing. And we knew that if we went to England, it was somehow cool. The Clash were there, and they were teddy boys. And it was, uh, we, we knew that if we stayed in New York, it wasn't really going to, you know, New Wave kind of came and went very briefly, you know, and that was as wacky as it got on Long Island. And, you know, even, even in Manhattan, there wasn't really that much of a scene. There was a little no-wave scene going on, at, you know, CBGBs maybe, but it wasn't anything real to me. There was no real movement of anything happening. So we just, you know, so, faulted. So did you guys... we could do it there. So you guys saved up and the three of you moved to London? Yes, exactly. How long are you guys in London before you get, uh, you get signed to a record deal? Mm. We moved there in June, and we made a record in December with Dave Edmonds. So, yes, with well, um, with across America, BP supports more than two hundred and seventy-five thousand jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio, and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. With Dave, the first few months that we went there was very rough. We were kind of homeless. We knocked around, you yeah. know, um, Sid and Nancy style, you know, that kind of thing. And um, uh, pretty much lived kind of rough. You know, a few people who were nice to us, like Ronnie Lane, who let us live in his house for a while. And um, and we eventually got little gigs playing these club, uh, pubs that were on the music circuit. London was very famous for, for like, there was like 10 pubs where everybody played. The Golden Lion and the Greyhound and the Ding Walls. And like, there was 10, 10 12, the Marquee, 10, 10 12 places. And uh, we, um, you know, they kind of needed bands. They had yeah. Bands four in the afternoon till you know eleven at night kind of thing. So it, we got a few of those, and um, word got out a little bit that there were these wacky guys because we had been seen around town kind of thing. And um, you know, the first few people that really dug us and came to see it were like Strummer and Lemmy and Chrissy Hine and people like that, Matlock. Uh, uh, Mick Jones, people like that were the first, you know, there were 10 people there and it was, you know, eight of them were famous. It was weird, you know? Um, and then, um, once that gets out, because then we were the cool thing to be seen at kind of thing, you know? So, um, once that gets out, then in, in a place like London, it happened very quickly. And then we met Edmonds and the record company started to come around and he was the right guy for it. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. It was very fortunate we found him because I, I don't think we, we really would have known what to do on our own. Of course, we'd never worked in a big studio before. And I don't think a 
you have to remember this is 1980. Like who who would have been the producer that you would have gotten? You know. Yeah, I mean he's the he, he's the perfect fit. He under yeah. he understands that music. Yeah, he was looking for. He said he he felt like Sam Phillips trying to find Elvis, and then he found the Stray Cats, and he he wasn't going to let us get away. No, he just knew what to do. And he had her sound in his head for 20 years, and he like now he found the the right tools to make it happen. You know? And uh, that album was only released in the UK. I mean, eventually we got those songs here, but for now, 1981, self-titled Stray Cats. Well, not just the UK, all around the world except USA. Except the USA, we weren't we so, weren't ready for it. Well, it was funny how the record contracts were structured. They were like. USA um, record contract and with that that excluded the rest of the world and the, you know the rest of the world if you signed in London ex- excluded the USA and it's a you know red tape business stuff which we didn't know we were kids we right. just want to make a what do we sign so um but kind of the good part was that for two for two years we toured all over the world went to you know places you, you only dreamed of and saw in pictures uh, saw in the encyclopedia you know actually go to those places. And um, so when we got the chance to, to get the record released in America, we came back and did it. We were prepared right. in a big way. So, yeah, yeah, you guys were prepared. Uh, so, you had your touring chops up, so you weren't going to disappoint. And, right, and knew how to do it, exactly. All the, all the money's on the line. Here's one TV show, boom, here you go. And we were like, no problem. So it's... A few, a few things like that happened. So... It was really just doing it a million times and uh, being 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 ready for it, really. So and I can't say any of it was on purpose. Uh, it just accidentally worked out for us that way. And there's uh, there's killer songs on the first album, of course, Rock This Town, Rumble in Brighton. And then there's uh, Storm the Embassy, which is kind of political, and it's not really what you expect from uh, from the Stray Cats, but great songs on the first album for sure. Yeah, yeah, that that was like an incident that just happened when we had just gotten there, I think. It was a big, you know, siege or whatever it was, and yeah. we liked the clash and all that. <laughs> right one like that, you know, so. Yeah, well, so that was it worked. Attempt at it. Yeah, I like it. When you guys tour, no one else is on stage except you three guys. Right. See, now, I love that. Yeah. I love that you guys, it's still raw and it's still rock and roll. You're not augmenting it with a horns or backup singers or keyboards and all that stuff. No. It's just no, the three would, of you guys. No. That would be kind of cool, though. I think the Strikats would probably sound really well, cool that way. Sure. But, but we we didn't. We didn't. But um, 
but it's pretty cool. Now, let me ask you about uh, your drumming style that you play uh, a, a minimal kit. When did that start? Yeah. Um, that started when we started the band. I, I played, you know, took drum lessons and studied drums and played the, 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 uh, you know, the school's way and all that. And, um, uh, was going to make it what I, what, what my life was no matter what. Right. But when, when the Stray Cats happened and we got turned on to a, you know, a lot of the stuff, we saw photographs of the big influence on us, us trying the thing with the drums like that was, um, Gene Vincent, the blue caps. They, they, they had a very minimal kind of drum kit. And, uh, uh, and then we saw the old, um, um, Elvis Presley footage from when, uh, you know, we had Elvis Scotty, Bill, DJ Fontana, Fontana was a drummer and very like, so we thought, well, let's try doing that. Cause that's what those guys did. Our, our new heroes. That's, that's what they did. And then, and then that evolved into moving to the front of the stage. Like no one else had, no one else had done that. No. Even these people that we loved, that was behind and no one really had ever stood up. They did it in photographs and that kind of thing, but no one had actually gone all the way with it. So, um, I, I think we were pretty much the first ones to do that. And when you, when you see the stray cats live, you, you know, a lot of times you're just watching the, uh, the lead singer, lead guitarist, but you and Lee, you guys are, are, are killing it as performers. You're not the typical rhythm section. That's just, you know, Lee's not just standing in, in one spot and you're not, no, you're not hindered no. by sitting behind a, a drum kit. So you guys right. are, you guys are out there and, and performing, which is cool. And different. It gives the audience a lot to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I'm trying to watch it too, but you know, it's 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 going by pretty fast, and it's it's those two are very musically advanced people. You know, it's 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 really happening in a in a fast pace. It's like being an NFL quarterback kind of thing that I always related to. You know, it's happening fast, faster than it looks on TV, kind of thing. You right. Know? And just um, I would like to watch it myself <laughs> you know sometimes i'm hearing this you know hearing what they're playing and seeing, seeing what they're doing and saying like wait a minute i want to stop for a second and just watch this holy mackerel that's a great solo um but of course you you keep it all going and then you look at the you look you watch the, the tapes. uh right exactly right how many pieces are in your kit when you're on stage how many pieces we got well there? um not not that much less than anyone else we use, we use a kick and a snare two cymbals mm -hmm um on maybe not quite half but like on quite a f few things we bring up an, an, an extra tom okay or or a hi-hat but that comes on and off luckily if i was by myself i would just leave it there because i couldn't be bothered to take it on and off myself with the straight cats you have a little help you're in a you're in a uh you know there's a few more people around to help and um so it, but it's more it's more or less a conventional drum kit we just have the snare drum stand higher and in a lot of ways it's very much conventional rock right kit it's just where we position it and how we uh you know how we play right and you're and you're using everything that you bring it's there's not a bunch of stuff there for show because what a waste of time oh i always say that and i love drummers i love every single drummer and i watch any drummer play any live thing ever and i always wonder with these big giant with us i can't i'm gonna wait wait here all night if i have to to see him hit that one <laughs> there's some <laughs> little he, tiny symbol somewhere you know like right it's, if it's, he even touches you know, it you know 
and the real good ones somehow do it. Neil Pert would use it somehow, you know? Sure. Um, well, sure, sure. <laughs> somehow the good ones use everything. Once, maybe just once, but, you know, some guy's got to set it up. It's good for the good for the economy. I can remember in college, there was a guy that lived on my d- dorm floor. He had a Stray Cats tattoo, combed his hair like wow. you guys. He was all in on the Stray Cats. And one day, I remember him having a knockdown, drag out argument with a guy who was saying that because you had such a, a, a tiny drum kit that you weren't a good drummer. And this guy was not having it. He was not having it, Slim. He was, he was defending to the death. And um, really, the funny part is that it's exactly the opposite, you know. I, yeah, I harder. agree. You have to do so much more to uh, to get the sound out there. I mean, you're all over the place. You go to Indianapolis 500 on a bicycle and see if you can do it. You know, <laughs> keep up with the guys. That's that's a good way to do it. That's a good way to say it. So the first two albums that were released around the world, then when you come to finally get to a, when you finally get to America. Those are kind of put together and released as built for speed. Yes, exactly. And this goes platinum, platinum in the U.S. Uh, well, over, over two. Okay. Over, it, it was because it was, you know, a complete perfect um, timing with MTV, and we already had some videos made. That, so it's yeah. just it, it. There was two, I think, that we had already had made. In, in England, like Stray Cat Strut was, was already a video. Black and orange Stray Cat sitting on a fence Ain't got enough dough to pay the rent I'm flat broke but I don't care I strut right by with my tail in the air So, like, we got, again, the timing of the world was on our side a couple times, and that was one, because it was tailor-made for that, for MTV, and um, that had just launched, and believe it or not they were looking for for content right they didn't have any content they had they had yeah. um rod stewart videos and the buggles yeah. and now that, that not yeah. a lot of stuff and then that kind of broke it more than radio radio came along after mtv like radio was forced into it really yeah they had to yeah radio had to to watch what mtv was playing and what the, the kids were you know grabbing right. hold of and then they had to say we got to get this right. we got to get this on right. the airwaves Rock this, exactly. t- Rock this Town goes to number nine. Stray Cat Strut goes to number three. And that sounds nothing like what's on the radio at that time. No, it was it was totally different. Like, I don't and even that's, know. Uh, a testament to it. It's, it's just timeless American music. And I I think if you went, went up the, with the approach of we're going to make it sound like Gene Vincent, then you would be, be in trouble. But I think you had to modernize it. Yeah certainly have the love of it like we did the 
love of Gene Vincent and the love of um, Buddy Holly and Jerry Lee and, of course, Carl Perkins and all those records. But I think if you went up there and made made a record, although we love how they sound, a dusty old record, as great as uh, Rock Around the Clock sounds, you, you had to make it louder. You had to amp it up. You had yeah. to do something to it. And um, and that's why I think it was you know, Edmonds was the right choice. And I think we organically knew that as well. I'm still shocked that a record label chose Stray Cat Strut as a single, though. But I guess it was because you guys had the video made, probably. Because, again, it sounds, to my ear, I would have never thought that was a single. And yet, I guess that's why I'm not a record guy. But uh, it's just, it's, but it's, uh, it's so cool. And, you're, uh, yeah, without MTV, it's hard to say if you guys would have broke through. Um. I think it's the same with um, us and with a lot of other people from that era. Yeah. I don't know if Adam and the Ants would have broken through. True. Duran Duran, um, any of those groups that um, came out at that time. I don't, I think without MTV, I think the radio would have still, radio en masse, FM radio, mm-hmm. would have still resisted it completely. But they had no choice. I was thinking about this the other day. You know, in the mid 80s, you know, the Sunset Strip hair metal bands started to emerge on MTV. And there's, tons of them you know some are interchangeable some are amazing some are not so good but no one no one grabbed on to rockabilly you know what i mean no one said hey look what the stray cats are doing we should do that you guys are still like uh, what do i want to say you're like you're like an island unto yourselves yeah there were no copycats um they're wasn't a movement like that. No, that's no. true. Um, which we never understood really because we tried to help everyone we could and um, liked it. Love it all, really. But it's, um, it was very brief for that. But there's now it's kind of bigger. Now, now there are more bands doing it. I don't know how things have changed. People aren't going to get record deals like the past. So right. Be a, same way. But, now there's more festivals all over the world, every country. It's a very international thing. Um, and I think there's more of these kids now than there ever was back then. I mean, it was a brief, you know, movement here where it was, uh, well, like a stylish thing, maybe. Now, where they sold bowling shirts at Macy's and, you know, <laughs> the mannequins had uh, rockabilly haircuts, and, you know. But like, right, right. Um, but now I think there's more, there's more of them than there was then. But if, um, if someone's putting together, let's say someone was going to put together for next summer, we're going to do a, a rockabilly tour with a bunch of rockabilly bands. Stray Cats are the headliners, without a doubt. That's got to feel good. Oh, yeah, I think so. Yes, exactly. I do think that we're the only ones that could pull something like that off. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt about it. That's a great idea. It. Yeah, let's do it. Um, oh, man. <laughs> so... Uh, 1983, then uh, Dave Edmonds comes back. He produces Rant and Rave with the Strave Cats. The label's probably, you know, hungry for new music because you guys are breaking through. And you guys get uh, two more top 40 hits with Sexy and 17. And then I Won't Stand in Your Way. And I Won't Stand in Your Way is such a great uh, ballad. I love it.
my favorite one that we've ever, I think we've ever done. Oh, way, way up there. And you guys played that on the tour. I can see it on the set list. Um, on this show, we did a different version. Like when it came out, we toured with the um, um, acapella group. Okay. That was on the record. We brought them on tour with us, and oh. to sing, uh, to have a real five-piece acapella doo-wop group with you, there's nothing like it. Those guys are fantastic. Fourteen Carat Soul from East Orange, New Jersey. They were, they were the real thing. But we, you know, we play the song. It's still the same song, but yeah. we adapt it differently. Let me talk about um, you guys. Are you guys? You know, you worked so hard from the early '80s, and then right around the mid '80s you guys start to do some of your own projects. Brian does Radiation Ranch, and then you guys, uh, you and Lee hook up with uh, Earl Slick, and you do a couple albums, Phantom Rocker and Slick. This, the, the self-titled one from 85, it's, a, it's such a great album. I, I tell more people they need to seek this record out. The album kicks off with what you want. It, it's fantastic. What you want is glamour Yeah, that's uh, that was a very special record. A few of those songs, songs that Lee and I had written from school, kind of thing, you know. And when you toured with Phantom Rocker and Slick, you're still playing the drums the way you play it. You weren't you weren't sitting down. Um, you were still doing. Oh this. no, I was. You were. No, yeah. With Phantom Rocker and Slick, when we toured, I sat down with sat down like regular drum kit. Yeah. Did you do that purposely because you wanted to separate what you do with the Stray Cats? Yeah. From this exactly. band. Okay. Yeah. And plus, as a drummer, I've been, you know, I wanted to get back to playing a full drum kit. A lot of the songs required some more, uh, you know, sounds. And it was more of like a traditional rock sound. Um, but again, it was really cool. We got Steve Thompson, who the le- next thing that he worked on after that was Guns N' Roses record. He, right. um, um, and we had Keith Richards, you know, we got him to come play on. Nicky Hopkins, it was the last time that those two were ever on a record together. They weren't there at the same time, but... Um, you know, Nikki played on all those amazing Stones records, and for we got you know Nikki and Keith Richard together. Pretty, pretty cool. We managed to pull that off. Yeah, when you when you're in the when you get Keith Richards and Nikki Hopkins in the studio with you, you got to kind of be uh, secretly pinching yourself because you've been a fan of these guys since you were a kid. Of course. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly right. And are they just as cool as you would hope they would be? They they your peers to them at this point? I mean, you might not. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a 
happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Feeling yeah, we had known them for a while. So okay. like, yeah, like, like it wasn't like you met them the same day. But so, um, but yeah, to come in and do it, you know, and Nikki was cool. He was at that point doing sessions, so he was just cool to to have him. Like Keith is more like he just has to want to do it and has to be the exact right moment, really, you know. And Keith probably just wants to have fun. If it's if it seems like it's going to be a fun time for him, it he, just happened to work out. We saw him. We said we're in the you know media sound tomorrow night. You want to come and play? <laughs> and it, was, it, it just happened to work out. completely accidental that we ran into him somewhere and that we happened to be doing the last part of the record in New York because we did most of it in Capitol. This happened to, again, it was just one of those timing things. He happened to be in town. Yeah, what the hell? I'll do it. No problem. And he turned up on time and it was all, you know, just worked out. Now that has to be shocking that, that, that Keith Richards turns up on time because, you know, from uh just from what I know of Keith Richards without being in the business, I would think, well, there might be a chance he might not show up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he does. But like so I that's said, cool. back then, he used to work at night more often. Right. Uh, better chance. Now, for Phantom Rocker and Slick, you're sitting behind a drum kit. But yeah. Lee, Lee's still playing the upright bass, though, right? No. Lee played electric bass. This, see, this is stuff I didn't know. And so I'm glad I'm asking it. Very cool. <laughs> I'm glad, again, I'm glad that you're keeping the Stray Cats way of performing pure and strictly for that band and that you guys are branching out for uh, for your rock records. Yeah, part of it is practical, too. You can't do it better than that. No. So why, why, you know, try? <laughs> and you guys didn't really make any sense and, to do it that way. Right, and you guys didn't want to do rockabilly with your side projects because... Brian's stuff is a little more rocking. Not, not that the Stray Cats don't rock, but you know what I mean. It's more rock and, sure. rock and roll instead of rockabilly. Sure. And same yeah. with uh, Phantom Rocker and Slick. And then, uh, and then you guys are doing you know, two albums back-to-back. Cover Girl is also a great album. And one of my favorite songs on that is uh, Can't Get It Right.
Oh, that's I'm so, I'm so happy they finally got it together. That that came out on a CD because it fell in that that strange era where the, before CDs, you know. Yeah. So and then um, EMI uh, America went out of business, and that one was licensed EMI through through through. EMI America and EMI Worldwide, you know, it's all crazy business, you know. And so finally someone got the rights for it and released it a few years ago. So I was very happy about that. Yeah, I mean, you put all your time in into making a record and then all of a sudden you can't find it. People can't find it. So, yeah, it's good that, yeah. it's good that this stuff is available and people can get it. Like vinyl's back again, so maybe people still find it on vinyl. Yeah, find a used copy and give it a whirl. Yeah, exactly right. So then... The Stray Cats also reconvene in 86. You release Rock Therapy. couple of a bunch of great songs on that what yeah and then you guys take and a little extended period what are you guys doing during that hiatus oh i can't even remember it's a long time ago probably goofing off just goofing just just well yeah we're never stopping like recording other stuff probably i'm sure lee and i were in the studio doing something i'm sure brian was you know he's not the type of guy that takes more than a couple days without practicing 12 hours you know right right he was always up to something um um, just, just really staying busy in a, in your own informal way. We had been on the road for seven years at that point, whatever, everyone was still kind of young and first time you, um, have a little time. So, um, but we were pretty much back at it pretty quickly. I think we did blast off in 88, 89. So it was pretty. And blast off is that's on that long. That's a really fun record. Some of my favorite songs on that are Gina and bring it yeah. back bring it back again I like that the ones I'm saying are ones that you're you're agreeing with. Then you work uh, you work with Nile Rogers in 1990 for Let's Go Faster. 
But that was a bit of a um, strange one. That's really good. I'm quite proud of it. But that was one where the business was against the didn't not not against against us, but it didn't line up with um, our contract with EMI was up, I believe, and we went with an independent label, someone that had a lot of money. Back that was what was going on in that in that time. Indie labels with money were popping up, and we and they, the label that was paying us wanted to do something slightly different. And we found um, Niall, who's an amazing guy. You could do a whole story on him. And, uh, and then when it, we, so we made the record. We worked very hard on it. It's a little bit different than a traded, traditional straight cast record. I think I played a full drum kit on a lot of that. Um, I think there's a lot of maybe even electric bass on that too. Um, and then when it came time to have it released, the label had... Um, you know the guy with the billion dollars that decided he didn't, he didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. So we we were stuck with the record that he wouldn't let us have, and um, it was a straight cast record that was slightly different sounding. So it, you know Warner Brothers is not going to pay half a million dollars for a record that's not theirs. That you know yeah yeah kind of thing that doesn't exactly sound like the formula. So that was a record that was you know the timing was uh, was not on our side, and it kind of fell to the crack, cracks of history kind of and that's uh, and that's disappointing because this is a fun record cross of love and baby don't drag me down I just listened to this record the other day in preparation and it's really fun. This one's a hard, this one's hard to find though. Yeah. I think it got released in Japan. Maybe EMI still, still own part of the straight cats contract for, for Japan. Again, there was a lot of crazy business involved because we were very young when you sign, th- sign things, you know, and you're dealing with corp- corporations like EMI and it's all very convoluted. Um, so what's a, can you tell me, but, tell me, tell me what it's, what's different between working in the studio with Niall Rogers and working in the studio with Dave Edmonds? What are the differences? Um, I'm trying to remember. It's all very kind of a long time ago. Um, like Niall Rogers, when we did that, it was very, very much, I remember it was to a click track and it was very much like, um, uh, more of like a modern kind of approach. With the Stray Cats, even with Edmonds, it's, kind of like one two three go and mm-hmm. uh, it's still kind of like that um i i remember with nile it was much more of a process but I, to me it still sounds exactly like the straight cast it just sounds like a bit more of a polished kind of record to me yeah to me i don't hear that that much of a difference myself i haven't really heard it in, in a long time but the last time i did um and i think that record brian sings maybe the best ever um he's um he really sings well on that one and i think it's cool you know it is cool. I, I would I would recommend people seek that one out if they've never heard it. And then a couple of years later, uh, you get back with Dave Edmonds 
and record a cool album, Choo Choo Hot Fish. Where's that title come from? We did the record in Chattanooga, Tennessee. For ah. some strange reason, we thought, let's go and do the um, just just us and, you know, no uh, hangers on or you know, craziness. Or um, it was just the three of us, Edmonds and the, and the engineer. Uh, we somehow found a studio uh, that was um, right down the street from the Chattanooga Choo Choo uh, Hotel, where okay. where where the hotel was train cars, and we went and lived in Chattanooga, Tennessee, for you know a month or whatever it was. And there was a restaurant that we went to every day, a takeout that was called Choo Choo Hot Fish. That they had a special kind of um, fish sandwich that we all liked, and we thought we went there every day. We took a picture of the of the sign and. And that was How's it. That? As simple as that. <laughs> yeah. So this is what Gotta a lot with that one. <laughs> this is what a lot of bands do. Once they once they go a little bit out of their wheelhouse, like you did with Let's Go Faster and Nile Rogers, then you always come back to uh I think I lost him. <laughs> now I'm talking to myself. Well, what I was gonna say for my for the listeners is then you always come back to doing uh, doing what you started doing. You come back to basics, and that's what the band did with Choo Choo Hot Fish, produced by Dave Edmonds, and uh, single is Elvis on Velvet. I was gonna ask. Uh, I was gonna ask Slim Jim what the playout song would be. I kind of think we're done. I don't think he's gonna call back. All right, I'm just gonna do some promoting. I got five copies of uh, "Rock This Town" from LA to London to give away. This comes to us from Surf Dog Records, and you can follow Slim Jim Phantom on Twitter at official Slim Jim. Also, his website is slimjimphantom.com. And look, seek out some Stray Cats music. It's cool stuff. You know, they're, they're a one-of-a-kind pretty much because like I said earlier, there's no imitators. These guys reinvented it and uh, took it to the top of the charts. And I'm glad they exist. This is a great live album. And again, from Surf Dog Records. So thank you, Surf Dog, for supplying us with the prizes, five copies of the CD. And even though I didn't get to thank Slim Jim Phantom in person, um, I'm going to thank him right now. Everybody, you can follow us on Twitter at Rock Solid Show. Uh, you can go to rocksolidpodcast.com. And I was going to ask Slim Jim what the playout song would be from this. And you know what? I'm just going to do... Uh, let's close it out with uh, Rumble and Brighton from the live album because that's what they closed the set out with. So why not close the show out with that? So that's it, everybody. That was the show. Hope you enjoyed it. 
I, I think Slim Jim was having uh, lunch on his uh, on his cell phone. So uh, if you heard some waiters and waitresses and some dishes clanging in the background, that's what that w- that was. I wasn't eating. Slim Jim was. Thanks, guys. All right, there's a rumble in Brighton tonight. One, two, three, four. find cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader